Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 23 this morning. Last week we talked about how Jesus fed the 5,000. And I said that the God who makes bread to come forth from the earth, as the ancient Jewish prayer said, was certainly able to make bread come forth for this crowd. We also talked about Jesus walking on water, which is what God was portrayed as doing in the Old Testament. I said that Mark is giving reasons why Jesus' earliest followers believed that Jesus was God with us, as Matthew puts it. In our passage this morning, Jesus is confronted by some religious leaders who are upset because Jesus' disciples are not following certain Jewish traditions. Let's start by reading chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Let's pray. Lord, help us to put aside all the busyness and trials of life for the next 20 minutes, to focus exclusively on what you have for us from your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In America, many people go to wash up before they eat. People do this for sanitary purposes to remove the germs. But that is not what Mark is talking about. Mark is talking about the Jewish religious tradition which involved washing one's hands to remove ceremonial defilement before you eat. To not follow this tradition was offensive to many Jews. Maybe a little bit like we might be upset if we saw some cooks who didn't wash their hands after going to the bathroom. Notice in verses 3 and 4, Mark has to explain this tradition to his readers. He says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give or give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, this is not suggesting that we should eat from dirty cups, pitchers, and kettles. This is about ceremonial purity. Mark's explanation, though, leads scholars to believe that Mark is writing to a Gentile audience who are not familiar with Jewish traditions. So Mark explains these traditions to us. Anyway, the scribes, called teachers of the law, and Pharisees are offended by the disciples' failure to ceremonially wash their hands. Verse 5 says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating their food with defiled hands. The word tradition in this passage is mentioned at least six times in our passage this morning. As I said, this is not about germs or cleanliness, but about ceremonial purity and oral traditions. And it wasn't about obeying biblical commands either. In the Old Testament, only priests were required to do the ceremonial washing, and that was only before entering the tabernacle or after touching certain things like a dead body. It's kind of like the Pharisees were telling the disciples, we've always done it this way before. Why aren't you? But much worse than that, the Pharisees were putting their traditions even above the commands of God. 
and Jesus was upset about it. In verses 6 to 8, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. The reason Jesus is upset is because they place more emphasis on how it's always been done than they do on biblical commands. So Jesus continues in verses 9 to 13. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that which might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother, lest you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. For his Gentile audience, Mark defines Corban as something which is devoted to God. Apparently, if you devoted something to God, you could still use it until you died, but you could not give it away. I don't think we have anything comparable to that tradition today, but let me give you kind of a far-out illustration just to help us kind of get the idea. Harry has a large and expensive home. He made a legally binding pledge to give his home to the church after he died. Unfortunately, later on, Harry's mother and father needed medical care that their insurance did not cover. So Harry went to the church asking to be released from his pledge, his Corbin, so he could sell his house and use the profit to help his parents. He explained that he wanted to honor his father and mother by helping them with their serious medical needs. The church refused to let him out of his legal pledge. That is, that is apparently the kind of thing the religious leaders were doing, and it really angered Jesus. So all this began when the scribes and Pharisees complained to Jesus about his disciples were eating with defiled hands. So Jesus talks about this defilement issue to the crowd. Verses 14 and 15. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. The idea that what you eat doesn't defile you was truly radical. The law of Moses went into significant detail, talking about all kinds of foods that Jews were forbidden to eat. Jesus seems to have crossed the line from criticizing unbiblical traditions to criticizing the Bible itself. So verses 17 to 19 say, After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. The point is that ceremonial uncleanness is just ceremonial. It's not sin. It may be ceremonial defilement, but it's not moral defilement. In the Old Testament, there were all kinds of things that made someone ceremonially unclean, 
touching a dead body, having certain diseases, and even having a baby. These things were not sinful. They were, not, they were just ceremonial laws, apparently designed to illustrate set-apartness or holiness. Food laws, however, may have been a little different because Jews were forbidden to eat certain foods. In verse 19, Mark, when Mark explains, in, this say, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, he is saying that Jesus overturned or annulled Jewish food laws. God gave those food laws. Only God has the authority to annul or do away with them. Exactly. All along, Mark has been showing why early Christians believed that Jesus was God with us. In chapter 1, at Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven says, You are my son whom I love. In other chapters so far, Jesus had claimed to directly forgive sin, and to be Lord over the Sabbath which are only true of God. And Jesus backed up such claims by healing incurable ailments like leprosy, paralysis, disability, and even death. He had demonstrated authority over the realm of Satan and had created food and walked on water and calmed storms, which were only true of God in the Old Testament. And now, according to Mark, Jesus overturns Jewish dietary laws, which only God had the authority to do. And that is why we Christians, believing Jesus to be God with us, have no problem eating a ham sandwich, barbecued pork, or a nice juicy bacon cheeseburger. And by the way, when Jesus says that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, he is talking in this context specifically about the animals that the law of Moses had declared to be unclean. He was not talking about unhealthy foods or illegal drugs. Paul's instruction about taking care of the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit still applies. But the idea that Jesus would overturn Old Testament food laws was so radical that Peter and the apostles just didn't get it. After Jesus' resurrection in Acts chapter 10, Peter got a vision of ceremonially unclean animals descending in a sheet and a voice from heaven saying, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter said, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice from heaven said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It took a vision from God to finally convince Peter that Jesus really had annulled Old Testament food laws. Anyway, Jesus continues to explain in verses 20 to 23. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil come from within or come from inside and defile a person. Jesus' point is that sinfulness and defilement begin in the heart. So let's talk about some of the sins in Jesus' list. First on the list is evil thoughts. All of the stuff in this list begins with evil thoughts in the heart. I've heard that Martin Luther once said, 
You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. What he meant was, you can't help what pops into your mind, but it becomes sin when you dwell on those evil thoughts and nurture them, and you can control that. It is those evil thoughts, when cultivated and fertilized, that grow into the other sins on this list. The first one is sexual immorality, which would also include adultery and lewdness, which are also on the list. Lewdness would include things like obscenity, pornography, or dressing provocatively. Our modern culture is so perverted that about the only things they think are sexually immoral anymore are pedophilia and rape, though there are more and more defenders of pedophilia these days, and even rape has been defended when Hamas did it to Jewish women. Our culture seems to think that almost nothing else is sexually immoral. We are not free to define sexual immorality by our culture. When Jesus spoke of sexual immorality, he based that on his Bible, which is our Old Testament. This includes things like incest, bestiality, sex with people of the same sex, cross-dressing, or any sex outside of marriage. So when people tell you that Jesus never condemns these things, they are sadly misinformed. Jesus also mentioned envy and greed. People often condemn the greed of Wall Street and big business, but they are remarkably silent about the sinful envy of all those who covet that wealth. Malice is closely related to hatred. It is about having bad intentions or ill will towards someone. It often results in slander, which uses deceit and outright lies in an effort to discredit or destroy someone. And folly is to be a fool. That is, someone who is willfully ignorant. They don't want to believe truth. Folly is especially about people who do not want to be subject to God and make up reasons to not believe in him or to oppose him. Progressive Christians often focus on the love and compassion of the Lord, but they ignore all he had to say about sin. Jesus was not shy about preaching on sin and calling people to repentance. So let me close with just two applications. First, Jesus strongly criticized those who put their own human traditions above biblical teaching. So it might be a good idea to ask ourselves if we ever place more emphasis on our traditions or even preferences than on what the Bible actually says. In some churches I grew up in, those traditions would include things like not going to movies, not even G-movies, not playing cards, except maybe Una or a Rook, no dancing, not even square dancing. I was once in a church that considered dropping their support for a missionary couple in France. Apparently in France it was customary to have wine with your dinner, and this couple never drank alcohol, except that they would sometimes drink a little wine with a meal to avoid offending a host who invited them to dinner. Some in my church wouldn't tolerate that. Some churches criticize women even for wearing pants or for men for wearing beards. Even today, churches sadly become involved in petty personal disputes that have nothing to do with the Bible. For example, here are some actual church conflicts. One church circulated a petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. One church had an argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at church potlucks. 
One church had a disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. I don't think they should be using pot at all. A deacon accused another deacon of sending an anonymous letter deciding to settle the matter in a parking lot. One church had a dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. My point is that we need to be careful not to place more emphasis on our own church traditions or personal preferences than we do on biblical teaching, like loving our neighbor, treating others as we would want to be treated, or as Paul says, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. Let me give you a positive example of this principle. I've told this to you many before, but not everyone has heard it. When my youngest son was in high school, he decided that he wanted to dye his hair green. And that was long before it was popular to dye your hair those kinds of colors. Well, try as we might, Sheila and I couldn't find anything in the Bible against green hair, so we let him dye his hair green. But we were going to a pretty conservative church at the time, and I wondered how the older people in the church were going to react to his spiked green hair. As it turned out, they just loved him, accepted him. Much later in life, my son told me that at that time in his life, he was really struggling with the hypocrisy in his youth group. Kids who acted all spiritual in church, but who behaved like pagans in his public school. He said that if the adults in church had rejected him just because of his spiked green hair, he might have just chucked Christianity entirely. But because that church focused on the word of God and not on traditions or preferences, they kept my son from going off the deep end. We need to be sure we don't ever become like Pharisees and put our traditions or preferences above biblical teaching to love each other, to be kind to each other, to treat each other as we would want to be treated. We need to make sure we major on the majors and minor on the minors. And as far as I know, this is not a problem in our church. And I praise God for you for that. Our church has been truly blessed by God. Second, Jesus quoted Isaiah saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. At the ADF conference I just attended, I gave the example of Harry. Harry is not a real person. He's a composite of numerous students I encountered in my years on the faculty of several Christian colleges. In order to be accepted into his Christian college, Harry signed a statement of faith and gave his testimony about how he became a Christian. Harry passed his Bible exams and went to the devotions on his dorm floor, and he sang praises to God in the chapel services. But something was not right with Harry. He regularly cheated on his tests, plagiarized his papers, and covered it all up with a web of lies. He would also violate the student covenant that he promised in writing to uphold when he would get drunk on the weekends and have sex with his girlfriends. When his friends would confront him about his sinful lifestyle, he was never sorrowful as if he were struggling with sin. In fact, he would brag to friends, I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight. I'll ask forgiveness later. The problem with students like Harry is that they often honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. 
And that may be the problem with many of those silly, petty disputes I just talked about in some churches. The world is filled with people like Harry who claim to be Christians, and yet they really don't have a heart of loving devotion and commitment to the Lord. Genuine biblical saving faith is a heart of loving devotion and absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ as the King and Commander of our life. If you don't have that heart of loving devotion and absolute allegiance to Jesus, I beg you to go out from here this morning, confess to God your sin, and plead with him to change your heart. And when he does, your first response should be to follow him in obedience and baptism. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that if there is anyone here this morning who does not have a heart of repentance from sin and loving devotion and total allegiance to you, that you would draw them to yourself and change their heart. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.